Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Steel Blade Showtime. I'm your host, Brandon. I'm here with my co-host, Derek. Derek, how are we doing this morning? Doing pretty good, pretty good. Man, episode 10 feels so surreal. Like, obviously I wanted this to keep going, but I had this little like thought in the back of my head that, you know, we just, it'd just fizzle out by now, you know? <laughs> we We would have just vaguely lost interest somehow but here we are going strong and we're gonna keep going strong yeah who knows maybe next one will be celebrating as 25 maybe 50 maybe two and in two years from now we'll be celebrating 100 you never know with these kind of things that's exactly right we're gonna go crazy with it so today we had something a little different we actually recorded the episode prior to recording this intro so we're actually talking to you now after we've sat down with our guest this week, Erdo, and chit-chatted with him a little bit. And I will say we got a good episode coming up. We do, we do. I, I just have one quick correction to make. Um so at the end of the episode, you'll hear uh Birdo supporting an event that's coming up for uh the shop. Um now, Brandon and Birdo originally gave the date of February 25th. And I said, no, no, it's the 26th. Uh, they were, in fact, correct. I was wrong. Uh, and they followed my lead because I was confident. Um, so it is, in fact, February 25th for the Apple 1K. <laughs> All right, you get an IP5 ban for every match in that. That's yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I will I will play crippled for my <laughs> for my shame. Oh. So you know, we get into a lot of stuff. Um what you we got some uh spoilers this week from outsiders as well, and it looks like Assassin is just gonna be putting all types of stuff on the people now. What I wanted out of Assassin on hits people will care about. Because uh, a, a lot of decks would just go, okay, you can banish a card, that's fine. And just ignore any of like the the usual on hits, not the majestic ones. The, there's always cause for concern with those. But they're just like, yeah, sure. It's, it's four damage and one card. Why would I give you my momentum? It's yeah. just like I, like you know, that card was on the bottom of the deck. I wasn't going to reach it anyway. It's fine. Uh, but these all give these strange debuffs. So we have frailty, inertia, and blood pox rot, which is just gnarly. Yeah, blood pox rot is the one I'm most scared of. Uh, um, frailty, I feel like, doesn't affect me too whole, all too that much on Leviathan. Probably not. Um, it it can. It can hurt, um, but it's it's not the most punishing. Because I'm just thinking, like a lot of my stuff, I'm with her. It's rare that I'm actually arsenaling stuff because I'm usually using my whole hand to either throw attacks or pay for the attacks. So, right. And the off chance that we land on that same turn that you decided to arsenal, and I hit you with the frailty. And then you also don't spend your arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> the 
the the odds are not high for that one. Although, I mean, if you codex, I'd have a card in Arsenal, but oh no, now you're staring down a five instead of a six. Right. You still might have to use two cards to block it, regardless. So to go into the details of of what we're what we're doing, um, what we're talking about, uh, I, I realize we we mixed up inertia is, well, I guess both uh, do affect arsenal. I had inertia in my head. I don't even where, know what inertia does. Inertia is at the beginning of your end phase, so oh, player yeah. who's got it controlled, uh, destroy inertia, then put all cards from your hand and arsenal on the bottom of your deck. Uh, which forces potentially a bad pitch stack, uh, and it it means you can't plan for next turn. So anybody that like, you know, I I, I see this being important into like a dash trying to set up pistols against you, because if they happen to draw two items in the same turn, there's a decent chance they can't play both of them. So now they have to choose which one, and they know the other is going to hit the bottom of the deck pretty fun and they can't even arsenal it to save it because hey it picks up the arsenal and puts it away too uh and frailty the other one that affects arsenal uh it gives minus one to the power of uh weapons and attacks from arsenal uh which is really interesting uh i i was so excited to see it because one of the things i am always terrified of is Kodachi for one. And now it is Kodachi for zero. I'm so <laughs> excited. And especially against, like, you know, now the... F- you could be... I was like, a Phoenix Flames would be a zero, but no, there's still going to be one. Searing Ember, Ember Blade is only going to be a two now. Probably right. might not really hurt all that much. Unless they have, like, a Salt or a Lava Burst in the Arsenal. The, the, again... biggest, the biggest thing that it's going to affect, I think, is if they arsenal a like conditional 4 for 0 go again attack. Because mm-hmm. then it pushes that down for me to that, like, just under that breakpoint. I can block that with one card instead of, like, block 3, take 1. Block 3, take 1. It's block 3. We Gucci. We're set. Yeah. So like yeah, if it lands on Phi, it's not as impactful against Kadachi unless you're or against Katsu. I just equate them with Kadachi <laughs> at this point. Um, but still, you've dealt some damage, and you've prevented minimum one, possibly two damage. It's pretty nice. Yeah, and like yeah, the blood rot, blood. Gosh, dang it. It's so wordy. Blood rot pox. Thank you. For some I was my in my head I'm going blood rocks pot. <laughs> I'm just like, that's not it. Um that's the only one I'm kind of scared of because it's damn either it's damage or pay. Right. And it's a significant amount of tax. It is if you've got it at the beginning of your end step, uh you pay three resources or take two damage. Which is significant, because uh, you don't you don't want to be paying that much, and it also means you've got to save blues to prevent the damage, which is huge. Everybody's using those blues to fuel that power, 
and against like redline decks, uh, they're never going to do it. So they'll just always take the tax. Yeah. They'll t- they'll take the damage rather. Uh, it's it's so impactful, and I'm so excited. <laughs> And then lastly, the, we had a couple of out of left field uh, spoils because, like, all of the rest were some zero for threes that apply the condition uh, in Assassin, and some uh, one for plus three attack reaction that can only apply to stealth attacks. And if it hits, it adds these conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the one for six that can only be played from Arsenal. Yes. Yes, and then you get a choice of which condition you're applying. You can you can choose any of those three, and it's huge because you. I have an in class, popper for all those illusionists, and most notably for that one, uh, that is assassin or ranger can use it. Mm-hmm. But we also got a ninja attack uh, that is spoiling a little bit of how they're going to um, make Katsu. A uh, little, little bit backwards compatible without affecting this set itself. Uh, so we got Bonds of, Ancest- Bonds of Ancestry. It is a red attack, uh, or at least this one is. It's, it's printed as rare, so we'll probably have the whole cycle of blue, yellow, red. It costs two uh, for four damage, but it has combo. If a card with Gust Wave in its name was the last attack this combat chain, this attack costs two less to play and has go again. And when this attacks, you may banish a card with combo from your graveyard. If you do, search your deck for a card with the same name. Banish it, then shuffle. You may play at this combat chain. The consistency that adds, because that's not an on hit. That is an on attack. Yeah. You get a little a little baby uh baby katsu trigger. Which means you can, you can get two Katsu triggers if you have in your hand any of the Gust Wave named abilities, which right now is just Whelming Gust Wave, uh, but probably we're going to get a different, like, Underwhelming Gust Wave. I don't know. Um, in this set, you can have two cards in hand. Oh, two cards as part of this combat chain. Com- Jesus combo chain and you'll be able to finish the whole combo that's insane and the nice thing also is like you're like with katsu you have to discard a card that one is just you're already taking a card that you've already used and 90 percent of the time it's just useless in grave and now you're giving it a little more use by banishing it and going searching out another one to be able to play that one from banish right the only kind of exception for that is the um I believe it's Lord of Wind that does it, uh, that you can pay extra and shuffle back in parts of that combo chain. Yeah. Um, so if you're doing it for the Lord of Wind combo, then, yeah, you, you're taking a little bit of the potential late-game power off of it um, because you're banishing it, so you can't pick it back up. So I think that's why they printed it like that. You are... You were kind of hampering one of that that combo lines potential end cards to get some more power. Now it's a really interesting play decision. Yeah, 
It's, I don't know. I got some like, I'm not looking forward to Assassin now after that. <laughs> but the promos they showed of the tokens looked like they were cold foil tokens. Yes, uh, those are part of the uh, calling. Um, they're not calling the Pro Tour Baltimore. See, uh, I was prize wondering because or, or they they said they were going to give um, a four four card pack of foil promos. Uh, one of those is the uh, Death Touch, uh, that one for six Assassin Ranger card, uh, and in that little spoiler image, you could see it was the like the token border. Um, so since there was three token borders, and this applies one of three um, of those debuffs. Uh, while we haven't officially had it confirmed, it's it's basically confirmed. I wasn't sure, because it just says foil, so I was like, are they giving out cold foil somewhere else with it, or is that what we're getting for Baltimore? And... I, I think they just specified foil, because the death touch is rainbow, and the uh, others are cold. Fair, fair. And then we also got the quiver. Yes! Uh, the quiver of rustling leaves. Um, we only saw this uh, as one of the the artists uh, was at the uh, was at indie this weekend, um, uh, Mark Poole, and he was able to show that off himself at like got to spoil your own art card. Gorgeous, uh, love love the inclusivity there. Like they have LSS has been so kind to their artists, um, so that was really great to see. Uh, that he gets to spoil his own card while being able to sell the artist proof of it. Yeah, that's definitely that is a really cool thing there. So this is you know there'd been a lot of speculation about you know Rangers ought to get quivers. How they figured out how to do it, and it's it fits a really interesting space. It's a very low like opportunity cost. Uh, because it has a quiver can be equipped in a weapon zone in addition to a bow. So that means you don't have to, like, it doesn't tie to a specific bow. It's not like, you know, one-handed bow, one like offhand thing. It fits its own role, which mm -hmm. is great. It leaves it open to everything else. And while the card itself is good, it's not game-breaking good. It just has instant pay three resources. Reveal the top part of your deck, if it's an arrow, put it face-up into your arsenal and destroy the Quiver of Wrestling Leaves. Which means, like, I, I love that because it helps fix bad hands, for one. It's not reusable um, unless you miss. If If you whiff that, you can go you can give it another shot later. And one of the huge things, uh, and I'm I'm so excited for this. If you get stuck with like a full blue hand uh as a ranger in your opening hand, like turn zero, and your opponent goes, you know what, I'm just gonna do setup. This is an instant. You can pitch one of those blues away and check the top. 
And if you are really desperate and it's not an arrow, you can pitch two, three more. Yeah, you'll still reveal the same non-arrow card, but this isn't tied down to once per turn. So you can make sure you get those blues on the bottom for later. Uh, you keep however many you want to support your, your deck's like cost structure. Uh, but you still get to filter your hand, even though your uh, opponent decided to do setup. It's huge for rangers. Also, we have, real quick here, um, one hour ago, Mansant posted a day two numbers for the um, players, like the heroes going into day two. Yeah. Take a guess who the overwhelming majority is. Uh, I'm going to go with Briar. You are absolutely correct. Yeah, because after the after the bans on like ice cards and belittle, uh, I I kind of figured Briar was going to be the heat. She was already really strong, um, and now with like a lot less things able to hold back her powerful turns. Yeah, she was gonna steamroll. Yeah. It's her at twenty seven. Icelander and Fi both tied at thirteen. Um, it's not in order, so I gotta look. look. Uh, you have Old Him and Lexi at nine. There is eight Dromai, six Dorian Dash, hmm. two Azalea Katsu Reinar. Wow! And then there is one Bolton, one Kano, and one Bravo. Zero Rachne and zero Leviathan on day two. Oh, and two Viscera as well. But Kano and Dory representing. We'd love <laughs> to see that. You can see Bravo in there. That's a bit of, like I. I really like. I know a lot of people had some some complaints about you know the uh, the bands this past week, but I think it was overall a really healthy thing for the game. We're seeing a a far wider spread of like heroes. Because like pre ban, uh, there was uh, an event. I forget which one it was. It was one over uh, in in Europe uh, somewhere that. The top eight was it, it was all Icelander and Oldhams. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was all it was. And yeah, maybe when we cut to top eight for this, it'll be similar. Who knows? But this leaves so much more room for these other heroes to try to operate in this environment. So, do you think Briar gets the win and gets pushed to LL after this calling? Uh, depends. Do you know how close she is? Uh, the calling will put her over. The calling will give her 100 points. Okay, so so if she wins, then she does? Yeah, she's at 964. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think she's out of here then, and I am stoked for that. <laughs> <laughs> Rosetta like, Thorns, bye-bye. Right. I don't care half as much about, like, Briar herself leaving. I'm... I'm more excited about Rosetta Thorn departing. Since she is tied to that as her signature weapon, it will hit the Living Legend pool the same time she does, which means I'll have to deal with it. The (laughs) math on Rosetta Thorn. Block hybrided two and two. That card is Ah! a game ender. 
But you know what? That also means that Grasp and Spellbound might start taking a little bit of a dive here because people might want to just get rid of them. They might. Uh, it's they might it's a toss up because Runeblade has traditionally been a a very powerful, uh, a very powerful class because of that hybrid damage it represents. So LSS will eventually print more. So I feel like while it'll take a little bit of a dive because it's not as playable right now, uh, I don't think it's going to tank that much uh, as much as people think it will. All I need is a little bit of a dive, and then I'm picking them up again. <laughs> right. Uh, I wasn't thinking about her LLing, so I already picked up my uh, my creepers, and I, I cracked a grasp. So, I, I had a grasp, and then I ended up selling it. And I've been like looking at getting cold foil creepers, so mm. I'll, I'll get them. Um, so, did you do anything this week in Flesh and Blood? Yeah, uh, I was a, a little bit blasphemous, and I only went to one Flesh and Blood event because I was going to uh, a Magic pre-release as well, so I didn't want to uh, spend too much money on cards in one week. <laughs> um, but I I went to uh, Fourth Wall on Wednesday, so I could give my brain a little break, uh, and I was really excited that at our at that armory we had a new player stop by brand new, had opened a couple of packs just out of curiosity. Um, and she just wanted to sit around and learn the game. Uh, and thankfully we had an odd number of players. So uh, community steward, Sam Hershey, uh, said, yeah, alright, I'll just sit and chat flesh and blood uh, with our new player here. Uh, broke out some decks that she was interested in, uh, talk through the numbers, you know the, how the how the game works in function, uh, and yeah, it was it was a really good time. Um, she left really excited about the event, um, and as has happened in the past a couple of times, uh, you know, fourth wall gives prize packs. Um, they they are structured prizing unlike unlike owl uh and we all opened our packs and we uh gave the bulk cards to her because uh, why not they're yeah. just going to sit in a box somewhere so that was the same thing i did with um uh later in the in the matches uh i got a buy and as as you do when you get a buy you go buy something um and so i i bought a box of dynasty um and you know just casually cracking through ripping through it uh and the first pack and i'm happy i got it but i'm so frustrated at the same time uh first pack i opened and it was the black tech whispers rainbow foil uh so really stoked that i got that Frustrated that it happened right after Pro Tour season. A <laughs> <laughs> um, couple of packs later, I got a Cold Foil Emperor. Uh, so, stoked there. Not the Marvel, of course. But, still, happy to upgrade that. Uh, that also makes my third Emperor that I've pulled. 
um, grabbed all the the majestics that I needed out of it, uh, and then I tossed the the rest of the the commons and rares uh, over her way. Nice little little jump start to her uh, collection because I that makes like the eighth box that I've opened. <laughs> something like that i do not need those bulk cards i have more than what i need so i tossed them her away um riley was nice enough to hand over the uh the dynasty throne playmat as well uh so <laughs> she showed up to learn and left with a huge influx of <laughs> of just random stuff um so I'm I'm hoping we see her back uh, this week again. Uh, I'll be bringing some spare decks, as I'm sure everybody else will, just in case she wants to try out one of ours. Um, but as for the gameplay itself, uh, I tried my uh, very strange Leviah build. Um, spoiler, it's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I lost all my matches. Uh, they were not close, um, and and partially because uh, in my there was extra traffic on the way home from work, uh, so I did not have time to like prep my bag and and everything, and I one hundred percent forgot the gambler's gloves. Oh. <laughs> so uh, over the over the two rounds I played, I I did in fact roll scab skins uh, a fair amount of times most of the time was just a wash even uh once i got to action points and the other it was either three or four times i rolled ones yeah <laughs> welcome to the club <laughs> it's happening and like i was rolling those to be like all right this hand is terrible it's full of three no blocks so i can't even filter it um i got to get stuff out of here uh Roll scabs. One. Okay. <laughs> and then I got forced to eat uh, just like the full weight of Dorinthia hits. Um, it felt bad. <laughs> I do not envy brute players having <laughs> just cards that don't block. Yeah, welcome it's to just... my life. <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was a good week for me for Flesh and Blood. How about yourself? What do you get up to? Uh, so I went out to Al's Armory this week. Um, I know I said I was taking a break from Leviah, you know, and I was going to shelve her for a little bit. Me and her were going to go on a hiatus. But you got me back into wanting to play her with Rifting. Rifting hadn't showed up yet, but I still took her out. Um, round one, I played against a um, brand new player. He was on Dromai. He had come from Yu-Gi-Oh, you know, we were talking. Said he found the game through uh, uh, TCC, Tolaria Community College videos. Um, and, uh, yeah, I didn't, I would never get high rolls. I wasn't getting my go again. So, you know, you don't do good against a drill. I when you're just going, all right, here's six. All right, here's six. All right, here's six. <laughs> and then at one point, he had a, he played a Chrome Eye. And he goes, all right. And I looked at my, I looked at my hand. I knew I was, you know, I wasn't going to win. He was new, you know, it's armory. I don't care. And he goes, all right, uh, Chrome eyes out. 
And he goes, I'm going to attack with an Ashwing. And I said, hold on. I was like, can I, you know, suggest something? He said, yeah. I said, attack with the Chromai first. I said, because I'm a brute, I play a ton of sixes. If I pop that Ashwing, it stops your turn right there. If I pop the Chromai, you still have an action point, and then you can swing with an Ashwing. And if I still have another six, I can pop it, but you're ripping two cards out of my hand instead of just one. And he goes, okay. So, you know, I, you know, obviously I popped the Chromai and popped the Ashwing because I said, I'm going out the Levi away and had two <laughs> reds in my hand still. Oh, and no. So it came back to me. I knew I was dying. So, uh, so I just like came back to me. I was like, yeah, good game. And he's like, why? I was like, oh, yeah, blood debt. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, I was like, hey, you know, if you ever have, you know, mirror, I think it's Mirror Guy, uh, Chromai, or the Passing Mirage out. You want to think about, you know, who you're attacking with first, because Mirror Guy, blah, you know, it protects the first dragon. Chromai, if you attack with it first and they pop it, it's going to get the uh, action point back. And obviously Passing Mirage protects the first illusionist action. Right. Uh, I got the buy round two, so I got a free win. Um, I'm okay with a buy on round two, as long as it's not round three. I'm perfectly okay. Round three, yes. bad. I just feels bad. Yes, especially when I got to go to work afterwards. So it's like I would be there till you know close to the time when I'd have to leave to go to work. And at round three, I played Jason, and I rolled a one super early on with my scab skins, cracked the gambler's gloves, and it was nothing but fives from there on out. Hey. Um, I had just picked up tear limb from limbs, so I played them. I played one, and it hit. So I went, all right, here's a Hungering Slaughter Beast for uh, 14. <laughs> and, and, basic, and he was at, a, I think he was at close to 14. I No, he was at like two. So he had to like physically block this big ass attack out. I'm sorry, this big attack. And so he put his whole hand down in front of it. And he's like, oh, good game. And I was like, you still have your armor. He was originally like, I'm not giving that to you. <laughs> I'm not letting you have the satisfaction of taking my armor. But he did put it in front, so he survived another turn until I went, alright, here's a wild ride into another six. Which, you know, at, you know as soon as you get a, blo a five blocking, you have the tempo. Right. And I knew as long as I didn't have a one rolled, I was going to win. Um, then afterwards, we played, there's another new player there, he was on Lexi. He was sitting beside me, and uh, I had a Rhinar Blitz deck, and you know, I was like, you know, me and Jason, his brother Jonathan, and uh, the newer player that was next to me, let's play a UPF. So it was me and Jonathan on Rhinar, and the new player on Lexi, and um, Jason brought out Briar. And I looked at Jonathan, and I was like, all right, listen, we're both Rhinar here. Let's take him out as quick as possible because <laughs> I want to deal with this Briar. I was trying to make deals, and nobody wanted my deals. Um, that's so sad. That's the, so, that's the heart I, of UPF. I know. I was trying to make, you know, I was trying to play politics. Nobody, uh, the new player ended up, you know, he didn't say anything, but he, you know, it literally came, he didn't attack me until, you know, he was to make it even. But we took out Jason first because uh, I, he had like one card left after Alexa got done with him because we played the house, we played house rules of you can attack anyone and draw a card. Um, So... He had one card left. I said, all right, intimidate it. And he had, like, one health left. So at any point, as soon as I intimidated that away, I'm like, all right, it's over. 
So it's you know, time. And I ran him over, and then he, Jonathan was attacking me. I was trying to make a deal with him. He attacked me first, so then I turned my attention to him, intimidated his last card away, attacked him, and came down to me and the Lexi. So what does this prove here? It proves make deals with me. Play politics with me, because I know what I'm doing in UPM. That's exactly right. And uh, deals with the winners. Get them. They This other player, this Lexi player, played it perfectly. If you are quiet about the deals, you're complying. The person sees it, but the other players might miss it, which means you, as the as the Reinar making politics deals, are drawing the aggro of like, you're trying to make deals in this punch game? No. <laughs> so he didn't even make any deals. He just saw Jason not, you know, me and Jason go at each other because I wanted Briar gone. He wanted. <laughs> And he, he wanted me gone because I was going after him. Right. And then right. he saw Jonathan attack me after I was trying to make a deal with him. And he's like, you know what? I'm not I'm not I'm just gonna let this guy live. And his head he's like, you know, I'm gonna let them battle it out. And I was like, all right. And then it's just like boom. <laughs> and Jonathan <laughs> looked at me and he's like, Hey, you wanna make that deal now? I said, No, nah, you're next. Right. <laughs> I ended up winning. Too uh, late for that deal. You have missed your window, sir. Uh, you know, intimidates and insane mechanics. I ended up winning, um, because you know it's like one barraging beatdown plus one other card is insane. It really is. Alpha rampage is what I ended it on, so I went like, I got a double intimidate on it. It was only for nine, but it was a double intimidated one. But when I only had to push across one damage, right? Double intimidate is all you need. Un unless there's the off chance that somebody has an unmovable in arsenal and like one piece of armor, then yeah. then you can maybe cut it, but probably not. I th I thought about bringing out Genus because then I could probably pay politics a little bit more. But <laughs> so if there's anything learned here, it's like if I try to make a deal with you, you take it. Right, because that's how it worked out in that that other one that we had. We cut the deal. It's time to deal with Prism. You, you know, you you know. Listen, it is almost always more beneficial to be the one accepting a deal than cutting one in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. So, we'll see how the UPA if we play anymore. I had to put Genus together back a little bit. So. I'm gonna. This Thursday, I'm I'm thinking if I can make it out, uh, it is going to be me signing up for you, for UPF as my primary, <laughs> just to see if anybody bites. Yeah, <laughs> we only need four. It's exactly right. <laughs> Technically, you can do it with three, but it's best with four. I'll sign up for. How are we gonna do that? Just play like three rounds of UPF. Yeah. Heck yeah. Might as well. Best two out of three. I'm down. I am down. UPF is so fun. But we have a great show, as we said, coming up. Um, Berto sat down and talked with us. We talked a lot about, you know, the LGS side of things, you know, from his perspective. Got some insight on Al, you know, how they run things. You know, it was very much a learning experience for me. Yeah. So without further ado, our past selves.
All right, and today we are joined by Birdo. Uh, he is our handsome, uh, referred to as the son of Katsu and Bravo, uh, and he is our local LGS L Central's uh, events and marketing manager. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing splendid. Uh, apparently, I'm referred to as Katsu and Bravo's baby. Yeah, that I is didn't pretty know that. <laughs> I'm learning. I this thought you now. were looped into that. <laughs> Sorry to jump that on you. <laughs> I need to come on more podcasts to learn about myself. Apparently, the, the one locals. There's this whole lore behind how, like, you're like the child of Katsu and Bravo, and. Like, they left, or you left, and then you came back to save whatever. It's been a while since it went down, but it was a good time. Like, I I'll, thought I'll you save were, whatever. I thought you were included on it, because, like, your your poster in the Owl Central game room is you with Bravo and Katsu on both sides of you. Yes. I thought you were leaning into the inside joke. <laughs> Now, now we're talking chicken egg situation. Did the poster come first? Or did the <laughs> lore come first? No one will True. ever know. True. Maybe that was inspired by the poster. <laughs> well, uh, I'm in handsome company, so I, I appreciate the kindness. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about uh, Owl Central itself? Um. Sure. Yeah. So, I've been at Owl Central for about a year and a half, um, but Owl Central's pedigree uh, predates me by many a year. Uh, they've been in business since about 2013 is when they got started as an online retailer, primarily selling on Amazon, actually. And then uh, after some immediate success, they decided to start a brick-and-mortar game store, um, the benefits being that they would be able to have distributor relationships um, with larger distributors to acquire more product allocations for the stuff that they wanted to sell, um, that they could sell online and also, you know, in their new nascent storefront. Fast forward about like eight, nine years, and I kind of joined the picture and I really dedicated myself to like building up the store and trying to really build up the brand. But Owl Central Games is pretty a predominantly online retailer, two thirds of the business is like nationally distributed orders uh, and online sales. And one third of our business is our brick and mortar game store, Owl Central Games, the uh, the LGS, as you know it. All right. See, it's it's one of those things that like, I, I know I've had that conversation with you before, but someone walking into the store wouldn't know that. It, it's not immediately obvious because a lot of places supposedly that do all this online business they don't care as much about the in-person experience and owl central the moment you walk in is so friendly you would never guess that like there's a, a hidden 60 percent of the business that you just don't see yeah totally and i think uh that does get lost on a lot of people who like patronize the business or are part of our local community like uh, we often like take for granted that like this local game store, this local community is like actually part of like a much larger whole and is made possible because of that much larger whole. Like we have um, we have so many additional resources from being a much larger business than the typical LGS that we can put a lot of intention, time, effort, resources into creating the best possible like game store experience for collectors and players alike. 
And so that's kind of what I came on board to try and contribute to to building up as much as possible is the game store experience. Because, you know, for a long time, it was actually the strategy of Owl Central Games was that the game store, the brick and mortar was really just, you know, to increase the amount of product allocation we get from distributors. And as long as the game store breaks even, then we're happy to have a game store. Now the game store is responsible for a third of our revenue. So it's gone far beyond breaking even. And we're all very, very proud of that. And I think it's because of the the quality of the community that we've been able to cultivate there over the last couple of years. Yep. And I will say like, I'm only able to speak for the flesh and blood community, but you know, it's been so-and-so a safe space for me every Thursday, being able to go in there and just hang out and play and see your smiling face whenever you're there. Yeah. It's, it's really a delight to host so many really positive, kind communities. Um, building communities that are like kind and caring and supportive like requires a lot of intentional effort. And, you know, we put that time in. And, you know, now when I step back and zoom out and think about all the communities that we've built around several different games at our store, it's, you know, it's something that I'm very proud of. So when I see people like you guys walking in every week and, you know, spreading that positivity and that kindness and that inclusivity and the the welcome that you offer to new players and the way that you support each other just uh, warms the old heart. I feel like a uh, feel like a proud papa. So well, no, go ahead, Derek. No, no, you. I asked the last okay. question. I was gonna, you know, so with Flesh and Blood, were you were you one of the ones to pitch the? game to the store or try and decide on if you wanted to carry it you know how did that come about at al yeah so when i got brought on at owl it wasn't with the intention that i was going to be working in the capacity that i currently am i actually started at owl working part-time while i was going to school and uh yeah like flesh and blood was already on the product shelves it was just something that owl was carrying but there was no community for it at the store so it was just this this like to me coming from magic the gathering and like having a passion for trading card games and wanting to get into the industry i you know was just focused on learning the the nuts and bolts of how to work in the store and how to run events and started running like magic fnms and stuff like that and as I was getting my feet wet, this like very secondary thing was these flesh and blood boxes that are just like sitting on our shelves. And I like would ask every once in a while, like, what is this? I don't know what this is. And like very few people, if any, are coming in to buy it. Like, what is that? And it's like, oh, it's just a new TCG. Like we're stocking it because it seems like there's some hype or whatever. But, you know, there it is. Like sell it if someone's asking for it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. Um but as I became more and more of a presence in the storefront, there were a couple of people who would just come in like every few days. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of Sam Hershey and Caleb Putney. You had uh, Caleb on as a guest uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. And yep. uh, yeah, they would come in and they would just meet up and play in our game center. And then like every couple of days ask me like hey you know we would be happy to help start like a do a learn to play and and start a community here and you know i'd hear that and I'd be like okay cool like i don't know how to do that i'm just like the new part-time person 
But after a couple of months of being there and really getting my feet wet and starting to feel like confident in the work that I was doing there, I pitched to the owners that I extend the store hours because during the week we were actually only open until 6 p.m. Huh. And we didn't really have like we didn't really have weekday events until 10 p.m. the way we currently do. So like Wednesdays and Thursdays, we would just be closed at six or whatever. And so I was like, hey, I know the storefront well enough now. Why don't you just let me keep the store open? I'll run it by myself from six to 10 and I'll just like start hosting some events during those times. And then uh, once we made that change, we finally had like the time, the resources and like, well, I, I was the time and resources at that point, <laughs> but we had me. And so after I kept hearing people coming in being like, flesh and blood, flesh and blood, people were buying it. People were talking about it. People wanted to play it there. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to run a learn to play. I'm going to learn how to play this game alongside our community. We're going to see how it's received. And then I'll start running weekly armory events. Um, just because we have the time now, people keep asking about it. Why not? I'll try something new and just go for it. And we'll see if we can build a new community here. Um, I hosted a learn to play. We had like 17, 18 people come out. It was awesome. We gave out all these IRA welcome decks. And then the following week, we had our first armory, and we had like eight or ten people for our first armory event. And it just kind of kept going ever since. And it's been, you know, almost a year and a half since we kind of took that leap. And it's pretty sweet. I don't remember what the original question was. But, <laughs> but, I mean, you yeah, answered it. So Rand decided it was all relevant. That's cool. the important part. Stayed on track. <laughs> exactly. You actually hit a couple of the questions in that whole thing. So. Oh, right. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you played a little bit. Do you, you know, that we've talked about this before. You know, you don't. All, you know, have as much time as to, you know, be able to play. Do you ever like sit and kind of wish you had more time to be able to play uh, Flesh and Blood? Brandon? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is absolutely yes. Um, I just, I love trading card games and obviously Magic was my first love and I still absolutely adore the game. I have a great time playing it. But Flesh and Blood just really tickles something for me flavor wise um like just the mechanical nature of the game and its resource system and the way decks are constructed and these attacks and non-attacks like the whole the core tension of the game is just like so riveting to me and it's so challenging i basically like always want to lose to myself when i lose a game uh, a trading card game like i want it to be because i didn't understand the game well enough or because i didn't um you know, I didn't have enough knowledge about what my opponent's game plan was, or I wasn't tight enough in understanding the interactions of my own deck. Like, I want to lose to those things because it means that I have room to improve and room to learn new things and room to get better at the game. And Flesh and Blood is just such a challenging game that, like, there is not enough time for me to get to explore it the way that I would love to explore it. So, yeah, I would, I would love to have more time to just sit down and play and build decks and one day, maybe in about 17 years, I'll be able to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Alluding to the fact that I have a, you know, almost 10 month old at home now. And that makes 
makes engaging in in my tcg hobbies outside of work a little more challenging just a bit yeah <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about flesh and blood too that that aspect of if you lost a game nine times out of ten it is something you did that you can look back and point at and go next time next time i'll remember this i can't do that it's just <laughs> yeah next time i'm not gonna roll a one <laughs> <laughs> well see next time you know maybe you shouldn't have rolled scabs Oh, Maybe that was the. <laughs> you should always roll scabs. The number of times <laughs> that I've, I, I picked up Leviya. We'll, we'll go into this. Technically, we already went into this. Right. That's why I paused because I figure we'll we'll wrap up and snipe <laughs> this bit out. <laughs> on track. Staying on track. Yep. <laughs> so when people come in. Uh, you know, they they are looking for a new game. What what pitch do you use to to you know to hype up Flesh and Blood? Well, I usually use a blue pitch because it provides three resources. <laughs> <laughs> Out here with the on-brand jokes harder than us. All right, respect. You did say pitch. I couldn't help myself. I am a dad now, after all. You're so right. You gotta land those. So, uh, how do I pitch flesh and blood to people? Um, there's like a couple of different approaches. I, I try to like understand what it is about um, games or hobbies that people are interested in, and obviously try to cater w w the information I'm going to provide to them based on what their interests are or how they're best going to be able to relate to the information. But like, the most surface level way I describe it to someone who has absolutely no idea what flesh and blood is, is just like, you know, you ever played in like action adventure game or RPG where you just like, you choose your class and your character and then you load out your weapons and your equipment. And then you go into a head to head battle with another hero that's loaded out with their weapons and equipment. And like, that's the flavor and the theme of the game. It's just like, 1v1 hand-to-hand -hand combat last one standing like wins you're actively trying to kill each other with the resources available to you <laughs> um that's like the most surface level flavor wise way i i describe it to people but then when people are interested mechanically in how the game works uh i think the the best description i've heard from someone else actually in the store as I was talking to them about Flesh and Blood, um, and they were discovering the game, they actually described it to me as, like, math tug-of-war. Oh. And I've really internalized that since then, and it's definitely one of my favorite ways to describe the, like, simple concepts of the game mechanically, is, like, you're just trading numbers in, like, a, in a tense tug-of-war, in which, like... You know, you're each whittling your life points down towards zero, and it's just like that push and pull intention of trading damage each turn and knowing the math and knowing how to leverage the math to, like, get that last tug over the line to get them to zero before you do. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the most interesting way I've heard it described, and I've been kind of leaning into that more because I'm realizing more and more and more how like 
the game really is just simple math at the end of the day. Right. It's 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 a fascinating and accurate way to describe it because every time someone throws an attack, I am doing math in my head and thinking, all right, is that five damage and an on hit that could maybe produce an extra three damage after worth me dropping five damage now? Yeah, you're, you're so right. And the answer is, thank, it's thank impossible you, to ascertain. <laughs> it's exactly right. There's so many variables that you just, you can't know. I'm so bad at math. <laughs> I'm just so bad at simple math. So I just like, and I, whenever I play trading card games, I just tank so hard because like, I, I know that there are so many things that I'm not considering and I'm trying to consider all of them. And then I get lost in the math and then I'm bad at the math. So then like my tanking process is just like so excruciating for my opponents as right. I'm just like, okay, this card, this card, this card produces this much, this card, this card, this card produces this much. And I'm like doing math, but I'm, I don't know all the variables. So all my math is bad. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a wonder to behold. It truly is. The so, number of times I get caught up in, but is there a pummel though? <laughs> So, you know, every time, you know, I've seen you at the store, you're always cheery, you have a smile on your face, you know, and it has to sometimes get, you know, hectic in there. How do you stay calm, like, while you're working there? Are you under the impression that I'm generally calm when I'm working there? <laughs> Listen, every time I see you, you're always happy, calm, no matter the situation. You, you, you always have that calming voice. Right, you present that calm vibe. I try. I think I think most of the time behind the scenes I'm just like a little ball of stress and I'm just like super anxious. But then when I have to like make player announcements or whatever, I was like, all right, I just like take my deep breaths and <laughs> withdraw into myself and then go out there and talk. But no, I mean, you know, I uh I'm old, you know? I'm <laughs> I'm 34, I'm almost 35 years old, like I have a kid. I I've, I've been in my marriage for good amount of years now like i've worked in a lot of really high intensity fast-paced environments a lot of like high stakes environments and i just uh you you kind of just chill out as you get older or at least i think that that's the trajectory you should probably be on is just you, you get a little more chill as you as you age and you see more things so ideally uh, yeah so I, I think i just equate it to like the uh my my age and experience at this point like there's few things that i haven't seen in this type of environment or in a game store environment and it's you know uh and at the end of the day i don't i don't care too much about anything to get riled up <laughs> so uh so i'm just trying to like you know keep keep it cool for everyone man cuz i want everyone to have a good time right and that that really leans into like the overall vibes because if someone rolls in and is trying to make that that player announcement and they're like all right so all we got to do is we got 50 minutes and you're going to build your decks and then it's going to be 55 minutes that's not a good experience but like yeah, I, I i was at the <laughs> the the magic pre-release yesterday and you made that very factual announcement fun 
Well, I tried. Also, to be fair, you were there for the 11 a.m. pre-release, and I hadn't been used up yet. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. So you got you got the first pre-release, Birdo. Once there were three simultaneous pre-releases going on, and I was running all three of them, and I had to make player announcements for like the three o'clock that was starting as I was prizing out the 11 o'clock and then flipping the round for the one o'clock. I was probably less fun during that, that time. True. But that got hectic in there as I was leaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had like 52 entrants throughout the day. And Sheesh. It was fun though. We had a great time. It was, yeah. and the community is, is swell though. Speaking of seeing you at the, um, at the pre-release yesterday and you pre-releasing magic, obviously we won't talk too much about magic. <laughs> it's not magic related. My, my, the story I want to share from yesterday's magic pre-release. Um, I think the lore for Derek has deepened <laughs> in a way that I just wasn't expecting because the amount of times that I have heard or seen firsthand Derek getting the first round by when he plays in our armories <laughs> or he tells stories about other events that he goes to on the pod. Yesterday morning, our 11 a.m. magic pre-release, round one by goes to Derek. And now I, I can't even like there was some conspiracy minded ideas that maybe there was some kind of gem fab glitch in which Derek is just always going to get the round one by because something associated with his name or player ID or something, but no, he got it in magic too. And so right. Derek is just the, the first round by guy. I'm seems. a magnet for it. <laughs> so, uh, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's good or bad. All I know is that there are forces greater than us that, um, <laughs> that wanted you to have that extra time yesterday morning. Exactly. See the, the universe is granting me what I need. I, I woke up 10.15, realized there were tickets left, and left to get there by 11. Now, that's a 15-minute drive for me, which means I did not have time for, like, coffee or breakfast or anything. Uh, and so I was just ready to, like, I walked in, I bought the, the water and the Oreos there. I'm like, Oreos is a great breakfast. Uh, and then I got the buy, and I walked over to the subway. Uh, the, the universe granted me breakfast. It was great. Yeah, we deserved it. What he really doesn't want you to know is that first round buy is for him to go and scope out the competition before he has to sit down and play. Yeah, I was it's wondering a... why he was taking videos of the store. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't tell my secrets. <laughs> I thought I was being so casual about it. I won't tell anyone else. Don't worry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, so so back to fab stuff. Uh, so, speaking of those events, I, I want to get into a little bit of your perspective about running those. Because obviously, if you want to run drafts, you have to have the right amount of product on hand. How do you decide how much is the right amount? All of it. All of it is the right <laughs> amount, Derek. All the product. If we can get our hands on it, we want it because, yeah, actually, you know, uh, that question, I think it's, it's a lot harder to do that analysis when you are just a game store, 
um, because like your success or failure is dependent on like really being able to understand like the demand of your player base and customers and ordering the right quantity of things, having a, a really good bead on how well you think a set or a product category is going to perform and making very calculated decisions and weighing risk and you know recognizing the the risk that you're taking on when you buy x amount versus y amount those calculations are so much harder when you're just a game store and 100 percent of your revenue is comes from your game store and local community we have a very different dynamic when it comes to that kind of strategy because two-thirds of the business is online so our goal is to basically especially like any core product like any um any like core expansion of a game like flesh and blood or Yu-Gi-Oh or pokemon or or magic those are the four tcgs that we that we sell at owl central games any core set you know we want to get our hands on basically as much of it as our distributors will give us because uh like whatever we don't sell in store we will sell online so the store is basically like our, our strategy is fill the store with product to make it so that if someone comes in, they never have to worry about a product being sold out. They can get their hands on it if the product is still in print. So we just like fill the, the, the store with as much product as we can. Whatever's left over after, you know, the product is out of print or people, the, the demand for that product ceases locally. And we've met our, we've met the local demand for that product then we shift that over to our different online channels. So we're in a unique position there where we get to just order as much of a product as we can. Um, and that's, that is definitely a blessing for us because again, it allows us to provide, you know, an abundance of product allocation to our local community without them having to worry about like, Oh, am I going to be able to get my hands on this or not? Because the stores around me are sold out and they don't have enough allocation. Like you generally don't have that problem with us and we're always able to keep things in stock. I so, gotcha. Like, you know, we, we've drafted different sets throughout the time. Is it, you know, we can only draft like certain things that we have an excess of, or is it, if there's a box in the, like in the showcase and we have one, are we just able to draft it like for an armory? I mean, I'll draft whatever y'all want to draft. You know, I'm up for drafting any time. <laughs> Love drafting so much. Um, yeah, the uh, as far as it, it obviously will come down to product limitations. Like we're not going to be doing any Welcome to Wraith Alpha drafts, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Dang. Uh, with Arcane Rising having been out of print for a while now, uh, we can't really get our hands on any more Arcane Rising from distributors, so we're just not going to be able to draft that. But everything else that we have in stock in the store, like drafting a box is the same as players buying a box. Yeah. So like if players want to draft, I'm always going to be like, yeah, take whatever boxes we have, let's draft them, because I would rather be opening those boxes and playing with them with our player community than them sitting on the shelf and us not like them either not selling or you know we're not playing with the cards um so if we have boxes of any particular set in stock like 
let's draft it. Let's let's go. I mean, I'm sure we're not going to return to drafting Uprising anytime soon. Everyone's kind of sick of doing that. We need a break from that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when Outsiders comes out, there's not going to be any limit to the amount of times we can draft that set. If we wanted to draft, you know, every single week for three months, like, Yes. We would have the product to do that. And I'm hoping <laughs> that we at least get uh, a good handful of, of drafts going uh, once the season starts. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to want to draft that so much. Yeah, it's all I want to do. So, so then when we're on, like, every Thursday, the Armory format is uh, fab for everyone. You know, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before on the show. Uh what made you decide to switch that? And was the inclusion of switching to like raffling the prizes a consideration for that? Yeah, thank you for asking, because uh, Fab for Everyone was my brainchild, and it's something that I'm very proud of. And so I'm obviously excited to talk about it because I like talking about things that I care about. Um, but yeah, Fab for Everyone is a multi-format armory, which basically means that when players arrive for our armory event and come to register, it costs $10 to register. And when you sign up, you name your preferred format that you want to play and your backup format that you want to play. And then once everyone is signed up, we look at everyone's primary and backup formats. And if there's enough interest in, say, two different formats, we might split the armory up into two different, like a blitz and CC or a draft and CC or a draft and blitz or whatever. Or if there's enough overlap between people's primary and secondaries, then we get everyone together to play that one greed upon format. And so by doing it that way, like that was my solution to having such a difficult time making sure that everyone could be included in our weekly armory event. Because up until I launched Fab for Everyone, like, I, I would try to keep a beat on, like, what player demand was, like, what competitive season is coming up, and then change the armory format to be aligned with that competitive season, or, like, try and try and just always keep a finger on the pulse of what our players want, and then, like, this month it's going to be Blitz armories, and then this month it's going to be CC armories. And I just, I didn't want to just do the the thing that a lot of people do, which is, we're running Blitz Armories and it's only Blitz Armories, or we're running CC Armories and it's only CC Armories, because Flesh and Blood just isn't a big enough game for anyone to feel included or excluded from an Armory Night. Like, there just are not enough players locally or regionally that are going to Armory events that you can afford to not have as many of those people getting together one night of the week like every week like you you can't afford to not bring them all in and so that was the challenge that i wanted to solve and i just i wanted it to be casual and inclusive because flesh and blood is inherently a very competitive game and so you know whether it's blitz or whether it's cc and people are playing for that cold foil for first place and you do like a prize support situation where it's like, all right, you get $10 for your entry fee. And if you 4-0, you get $40 in store credit and a cold foil and, you know, $20 in store credit if you 3-1. Like, that's how we run our, our weekly magic events. But for Flesh and Blood, I didn't want, I didn't want 
our armory to be like this competitive tournament environment because then where are new players going to play like where are new players going to have a good time how are we going to continue acquiring new players to grow the community so that those competitive players have people to play against six months or a year from now and you know that's a that's a challenge that you know people like me are trying to solve at their stores for every community but when you're building a community from scratch for a smaller and newer game, you have to make you you have to think creatively about how to bring everyone in. And Fab for Everyone is what I landed on, and I I'm very happy with the results. Like it does feel like the Armory community is growing. You know that depends on season, that depends on product releases, but it does feel like our local community is growing because there is a place for the newest of people and the most competitive people to come together in one place. And it's really helpful uh, on the back end. Well, a hidden, hidden benefit is you mentioned about like keeping your finger on the pulse. That's a lot of extra steps for you to do as a tournament organizer. Uh, and this way, the players do that legwork for you at the same time as it being better for them. So it's, it's, great for everyone it is in fact fab for everyone including you as the organizer <laughs> yeah i want to work as little as possible <laughs> <So> <laughs> don't we all you all deciding what you want to play every week and then like us empowering you to do that just makes so much more sense is more authentic and i guess touching on the whole raffling off the cold foil and the play mat each week um, we basically divorced prize support and or promos from your performance. We didn't want the same one, two, three people to win the prizing every single week because they're the experienced Pro Tour qualified players. And the other people might be people who are playing Blitz for the first time. Like, this game, everyone should have access to it. And, like, the special shiny things shouldn't only be for the people who are like the best players and everyone deserves that opportunity to feel like excited and to feel part of something and to feel like they stand a chance at winning, even if they might not be winning their games. And so I made it so that when you enter for $10, you just get your $10 back in store credit. Um, instead of like me redistributing the entry fees for prizing, it's just like, no, you give me 10 bucks. I give you 10 bucks back. Everyone has an equal chance of winning the promos like let's all just hang out and have a good time and i i think that that's been well received you can tell me otherwise if you think it hasn't but i think it's been well received and i think it creates exciting moments for new players if they win that cold foil or they win that play map and it makes them want to come back and i think that that's the most important thing we should focus on yeah, definitely because like i was early on to me coming i won the uprising mat and that was just so cool to finally to like you know, be so early into my playing days and be able to hold a flesh and blood mat and be like, yeah, I got one now. Is it having to use a different games play mat or a blank play mat? <clears throat> so, um, so we have a couple other stores in our area. Are they like viewed as competition or do you like try and work with them, you know, when you plan events and other stuff so that it doesn't overlap and, you know, get conflicted between players wanting to do stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that it's evolved over time and it's changed over the course of the last six to nine months. Um, 
I think that the other stores in the area, um, I, I, we probably have like four other stores within an hour radius of us. Um, and because central PA is a sparse place and like the population is pretty distributed, like people have a lot of different choices within an hour to go to for their armories and for their special events. And so at first, I think there was a little bit more competition or maybe if it wasn't direct competition, it, it was at least like some kind of like rival mentality or like we, we want to try and we're, we're, or it's, it was either like a rival mentality or like an indifference mentality of like, I'm just going to do my thing and not worry about the other people. But I think that the broader community of organizers and stores have finally reckoned with the idea that like, while we all love flesh and blood and while we have a really great community, the community is still comparatively small to other games and having a like comparatively smaller player base in the region means that like, if we are not in solidarity and working together to build play communities at our stores and working together to collaborate and or cooperate on what our event dates are going to be and like how we're going to format things like we're just going to end up building a disjointed and or divided community of players and we just can't afford that like we can't really afford that in our region um and so i think over the last six to nine months like relationships between stores has improved a lot more whenever whenever announcements for a pro quest season or a skirmish season or whatever uh when retailers get the uh the invitations to host like one of the first things that happens is someone posts in the South Central PA Facebook page that Riley Groff moderates and it's just like, all right, who's got a skirmish? Like what dates are you planning on? What dates and times are you planning on booking? And then like all the, the store owners or retailers or, or TOs start talking and coordinating dates. So it's gotten a lot more collaborative and cooperative and it's gotten a lot more positive. And I'm really grateful for that because that's, we just we just need that in order to keep building up the the community in the region. It's it's really nice to be able to look and not have to worry about okay, well, I have this option and this option on this day. It's uh okay, this day we have this and this day we have this and this day we have this and you can just hit up as many events as possible. And you know, there might be, you know, between the players there might be a small friendly rivalry of, you know, the stores when we go to a certain store to play nothing like too bad but you know it's friendly stuff yeah there's a little bit of like a, a perspective of oh yeah it's the owl central team like obviously we're not actually a team but <laughs> there's that camaraderie camaraderie of loving to see the people that you see every week at an armory doing great yeah, every time I see um like tournament results or people traveling to different pro quests or whatever, people from our store top eighting at battle hardens and callings or stuff like that, like or making day two at callings or day two at pro tours, uh, there's obviously a lot of pride. <laughs> there's a lot of pride there. So Right. So we actually have a couple of uh listener questions uh here for you. Uh so this first one we have from Riley. Uh, as a tournament organizer, what do you hope to see from a card game community? 
Well, thanks for the question, Riley, you beautiful, beautiful man. So what do I hope to see from a card game community? Um, I don't know, callously, uh, that they're buying boxes and trading in singles and buying singles, <laughs> you know, like we are a store. So, uh, we definitely want to see people like really engaged with the game, um, and like, you know, buying product and trading in cards for us to build up our inventory and stuff like that. But like, obviously that has never been my main priority when it comes to building up actual in-store play community the only thing that matters to me is is the culture right like people being kind to one another people being welcoming and inclusive uh people allowing for space for diversity and making sure that everyone is prioritizing having a good time and helping ensure that other people are having a good time like those that's not a lot to ask for, but if you don't ask for it, you don't get it. So, you know, that's what I've been asking of all of my communities. Um, and the flesh and blood community has absolutely delivered on that. And I'm, I'm very grateful that everyone in our community seems to be very, uh, on board with that culture that we're trying to build at Owl. And he's also got a follow-up question. What kind of community behavior is encouraging or discouraging for you to support a game? Um, well, I, I could give a, I'll just give actually a very specific example. Um, I can give a pretty concrete one because I, I went through this with our Pokemon in-store play community, um, a while back and beginning to see the fruits of my labor now, but when I joined Owl, we already had an established in-store play community for for the Pokemon trading card game. And that community over time, as I was getting more and more acclimated to working the store and building events for the store and building communities for the store, I recognized that that specific community was on the more toxic side. Like, they just were very like entitled in how they used the space. They weren't particularly inclusive. They didn't make it, they didn't allow it to be like a family friendly environment where say parents could come with their kids or older people could bring their younger siblings. Like it wasn't an environment in which people really felt welcomed. And you just had these like very competitive spiky Pokemon TCG players that didn't leave any room for like new players to come in or growth. And it wasn't like friendly. It wasn't friendly. And they just like kind of complained a lot <laughs> and were just like angry all the time. And so I got to a point where, you know, I'm running these Thursday evening events for Pokemon. And it was just like always a negative experience. And I, finally just decided you know what like for the sake of the culture that i'm now actively trying to build here i'm just hitting a hard reset on this pokemon community and it was during a time where play pokemon the organized play program they weren't actually supporting in-store play so we were doing in-store play for pokemon without any direct support from the organized play system of pokemon so i was like we don't have organized play support and this community is toxic 
we're just going to hit the hard reset button and I just canceled all Pokemon events and I stopped hosting the Pokemon TCG. Uh, and that was like really tough. It was like really tough for us to just like justify like canceling an entire in-store play community of people and ending the in-store play relationship with that game. Um, and we did that and then we just didn't have Pokemon TCG for like six months. Wow. Yeah, we didn't. It, I mean, it was somewhere probably like four to six months, right? Sure. Yeah. And then finally we got to a place where it was like, okay, we have a clear understanding of what we want our culture to be. And we know what our goal is going to be if we want to build a Pokemon in store play community. So I kind of modeled it similarly to the flesh and blood community where it was like, all right, you pay $10, you get your $10 right back. There are no prizes on the line. Like there's nothing to be competitive for. You're just going to play best of one matches that are 30 minutes long. And you're going to play four quick matches with four different opponents and just have fun and play casually. And we started doing that and people started coming with their kids and like younger college aged kids who just wanted to like have fun playing their jank decks. Like we're getting together and slowly, but surely over the course of the last, like, three to five months or so we've built up this really positive really sweet really like really warm pokemon tcg community that now has like about you know 14 to 16 players every single week for our weekly event and they're just they're great they're just really sweet they're really wholesome they're all kind to each other they're all supportive to each other they're all active in our discord server they're welcoming to new players and you know, that's just me reiterating the things that we value and care about in our culture. But like, you know, that, uh, that's the behavior we're looking for. And the behavior that we discourage results in me just straight up saying, you know, we're not doing this anymore until we can figure out a new way to make sure that our culture is protected. Right. Um, I don't think that I have to like go like um scorched earth on any communities anytime <laughs> soon <laughs> um, because like we have established a very positive and inclusive culture in our store so you know um any any like bad eggs or whatever kind of just get pushed out by the warmth and wholesomeness of the remainder of the community um or they like those bad eggs just kind of fall in line and realize and recognize like what's acceptable and what isn't and get along um so yeah, I don't need to raise anything to the ground anytime soon, because uh, it seems like the foundations are are strong now. So I'm I'm very happy about that. Yeah, every time I look over during Armory events, because you know they're hosted side by side on the Thursday nights, those Pokemon players look like they're having a blast. They are. They're so sweet. <laughs> so Jason would like to know, you know, what's your favorite set from the game so far that's been produced? Ooh, um, that's, so my favorite, the, the set that I enjoyed drafting the most is Welcome to Wraith. And because I'm predominantly a limited player, like that holds a lot of weight as far as like what my favorite set's going to be. Uh, I also just like Welcome to Wraith is just such a complete product. You know, it's like before the talent system was introduced, the talent system has created some like really complicated dynamics that can like create accessibility issues for new players. And I'm just always going to have a new player oriented perspective um, when it comes to how I want to 
enjoy the game or how I want to interact with the game is like, how do we bring more people in? And Welcome to Wraith is just such a flawless set. Like, it's just so well-balanced. The limited is so incredible. It's mechanically, like, crockable and, like, so much easier for new players to learn on. And, like, no matter how many sets come out since Welcome to Wraith, I'm never not going to recommend Welcome to Wraith as the first product you should buy to get into the game. And that's really something special about Flesh and Blood is, like, the first set has not like faded into obscurity. The first set isn't like mechanically irrelevant to the rest of the game. Like the first set is like still an essential product for getting into the game. And that's really impressive. Like the, the, so far the timelessness of it. And so because of that, it's really, really hard to not say welcome to Wraith. But if I had to give an honorable mention, Tales of Aria is busted. <laughs> and I, yeah. love Lexi. I love Lexi and Tales is just totally busted. And I loved the flavor. I loved the design. I loved the art. Tales of Aria is an amazing set. And there, there are different reasons to pick that. But the most holistic answer I can give is Welcome to Wraith. So would you say Wraith you know, has the most versatility of the sets produced so far as well? Um... I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that versatility. Um, most versatility. Well, you see the heroes getting played, right? So the heroes are still getting played, but you know, like versatility, it's, it's kind of hard to say because ultimately their card pools are still just going to be so much more limited than talented versions of those heroes classes. Mm -hmm. um so like over time i don't know that welcome to wraith like continues to have like have that same the same level of versatility that maybe or flexibility that maybe it had early on but yeah i'm not entirely sure how to like answer for what set has the most versatility because it really depends on what your goals are it depends on what play styles you like to play what classes you're drawn to you know, there are so many very personal choices that players make about how they want to engage with the game. And that's going to just fundamentally change, like, your perspective on what products are most interesting to you, what products are most versatile for you, you know? Um, like, I, I there is, like, there, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, there are good warrior cards in, say, Crucible of War and Welcome to Wraith and Monarch. So, like, if you are a warrior main, like, you could see a lot of versatility between like over the, over multiple sets that like some other heroes just might not actually have the same access to as far as abundance of cards. Right. So it really depends on what your interests and goals are. And then kind of, you'd have to think about it from there for me. Like my, my favorite class is Ranger and I, you know, I don't feel like there are any particular sets that offer like, massive versatility to the ranger class and maybe outsiders is going to change that with like these ranger hybrid cards or these ranger assassin hybrid cards and and new ways of playing the class that you know creates more versatility around that class yeah so we have you know one final question that we like to ask all our guests here um you know between being an organizer you know playing limited with us when you get a chance no, running the 1Ks and stuff. Has there been one a moment that you've had stuck out 
that is uh, memorable to you in Flesh and Blood so far? Well, you know, it's, I think the thing that sticks out the most for me, it's hard to like, it's hard to put it, like capture it in a moment, you know? Because I just like, I have really like strong feelings for, uh, like strong feelings of pride for the quality of our community and what we've been building locally and regionally with say like all of our one K's. And when we do our special events that attracts people from two, two and a half hours away that have been making the trip to be with us. It's just like this persistent warmth that I like carry with me that we have created something from scratch that like people can call their second home that people like have come to rely on and depend on and that like brings people so much joy and brings people so much comfort like every time i'm around that and then like i'm present enough to like realize it and feel it and recognize it i just get awash with gratitude and like those little moments you know they might not be attributed to like one exciting thing that happened or one nice thing that some someone said but the little moments that just like have me just come like that that wave of gratitude just washing over me those are just the most irreplaceable moments when it comes to building community that's my like indirect answer my direct answer was sitting across from you, Brandon, when you opened that <laughs> fable during that draft. <laughs> and we literally all screamed, and all the Pokemon players across the room were just like, what's going on over there? <laughs> like, that was, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of fun, big moments, but that is definitely, like, just a very memorable one, you know, just sitting across from you at the draft table and seeing the look on your face and everyone screaming all at once. Like that was a great time. Uh, that was. <laughs> I... Yeah. Those Pokemon players were really confused. <laughs> Absolutely. Like <laughs> there's nothing quite like, and I've, I've been on the other, the other end of it too, of there's just a group of people and they all start shouting. And just the confusion and interest, and uh, sometimes a little bit of fear, depending, <laughs> you know. Uh, they might be coming for you, you know. <laughs> they might be. Right. I do have one last question. Uh, I promise this is the very, very last one. Uh, do you want to plug some upcoming events? Because I know we got a couple coming. Do we? We do, don't we? Oh, keeping the calendar straight in my head is. <laughs> borderline impossible uh is, is our 1k on the 25th yep that sounds right right yep it is yeah we got a 1k on the 25th <laughs> you should come to it specifically you two. Oh, i will be there you know uh, there. oh i did i just double checked it is the 26th 26th all right thank you for checking so yeah saturday february 26th we will have a classic constructed 1k at our game center in millersville pa just outside of lancaster um if you are listening and you are not local to our region it's about three hours from dc two hours and change from baltimore uh two hours ish from philly you know you can you can get here central pa is accessible to everyone 
So yeah, we've been building our regional in-store play community for these one Ks for, you know, six to nine months now. Um, and just trying to run a one K like about every single month. Uh, we are basically still at a point where we're paying out more than we're taking in. And that's the investment that I've been making in trying to build this regional community. So I will keep eating a little bit of prize support if we keep seeing that community growing. Um, because there are a lot of competitive players that are really talented, really capable, and who love the game, who are within that three-hour radius of us. And I want to continue to like provide a high-quality, high-stakes opportunities to play competitive flesh and blood. Um, that doesn't necessarily require you having to like fly to a calling or a battle hardened somewhere where you can just, you know, get your reps against players who, you know, are good. Like we, we fill our game center with multiple pro tour qualified players. Every single time we do a one K, um, people who are winning and or top eighting battle hardens on a consistent basis. Like we've got some serious players in the region. And so I'm really, really hoping to continue building up the, the competitive, the competitive like play community outside of our armory event for those one case. So next one is February 26th. We are also doing a, an, an outsiders pre-release and that's coming in mid March. I think it's March 18th. I can't remember the exact date, but, um, but yeah, it'll be the Saturday of pre-releases for, uh, for outsiders. And I'm looking forward to hosting that. We're going to do sealed. And then, uh, we do have a skirmish coming up in April, but that's a, that's a ways away. So I'm not going to plug that one just yet. We'll plug it more later. Sounds good. All right, Berto, thank you for your time. We appreciate you coming on and chatting with us today. Yeah, it was such a pleasure being here with you guys. And I really, really appreciate the invitation. And I do want to leave with a final note of just expressing my gratitude for the both of you and what you've been doing for our community. Um, you you just, uh, you take so much care of the people that are part of our community. And now you translating that passion into creating this podcast and you know putting your heart and souls into it and it's just like really admirable and i really appreciate that everything that you guys do for our local flesh and blood community and i'm gonna pre-thank you for everything that you'll do for the broader flesh and blood community and hosting this podcast that you guys have now so i uh i really appreciate you guys having me on and appreciate everything you've you've been doing for us there's such kind words thank you thank you all right derek you want to sign us off yeah absolutely we are going to be uh catching up with tommy fresh of the uh fresh and buds podcast uh on content creation and uh talking some some in-depth levia shenanigans uh so don't miss out or are you gonna lose the blood that